0: Hi. Um, nice to see everybody. I was saying to somebody earlier, these mornings, even I want to turn over and go back to sleep. <laughs> and I have to make myself get out of bed because I hate mornings like this. Um, so th- thank you for all getting out of bed <laughs> and coming. I would have looked pretty silly on my own here. So, um, yeah, let's pray. Yeah. Father, thank you that... Um, Thank you that we can come before you as um, Alex led us in praise. That uh, we can tell you that we love you and that we want to worship you and and we can sing those songs. And uh, you stir us, Lord, in our hearts and in our soul to to want to praise you more. And I thank you for that. I thank you that you inhabit the praises of your people, and so we can know that you're here this morning and that you're amongst us and and that you were pleased. You are pleased because you are pleased when your people uh, come before you and worship you. And so I thank you, Lord. I thank you for Alex and for his gift of leading us in that way. I I praise you because you live within each believer and uh, you work through each one of us. Um, thank you, Lord. Thank you not just for saving us but for, for doing that, Lord, that we might have a place and a purpose in your plan and... And that we wouldn't just be left in a heap in the corner, but that we can know you have a work that you created in advance for us to do. And and I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for the way that you will minister one to another here today, that you will bring us, knit us together, and that we will become a fitting temple of the Lord in the Spirit. And, And I praise you for it. And thank you. I thank you that you're going to speak to us today. And I ask, Lord God, that we have ears that are open to hear And that we would surrender to what we hear, Lord. That we would say yes, Lord, to you. And nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so I pray, Father, I give you this day. um, I guess we're all doing that right now. We're giving you this day, Lord, as our reasonable service of worship. And asking you to transform us by the word that we hear. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen uh okay this is a day that's called be ready um and it's a day to think about what it means to be ready and what we're going to be ready for and um uh it's a day to think about the fact that the lord jesus is coming soon i think they've probably been saying that for two thousand and odd years uh well they have been saying that for two thousand and odd years and um I guess sometimes when we say, Maranatha, um, oh, come, Lord, uh, that comes out of the pit of our soul, the pit of our spirit, because things around us are so hard or seem so bleak that there is only really one cry from us all, Lord, please come and come quickly. I don't know about you. I was awake in the middle of the night, so, um, and I was reading the news. Um, and you know, it breaks your heart to read the news doesn't it it just breaks your heart to see what's going on around our world and the horror of it all and and there's no other cry is there it's just lord come please come quickly you know even though there's people I love who don't yet know you please come quickly because this world is just getting darker and darker and darker and uh, even though I know that Believers have been saying that down through the centuries since Christ came and died and was raised again. Still, the cry is Maranatha. Please come, Lord. Come quickly. Um, These three conferences, last month, this month, and November, are all about this one subject, really, about what it means that Christ is coming and that he's coming soon, coming back, and how are we to live in the light of that. Last month, we looked at... Uh, what it means to walk with God. We started in Genesis 5 where you read about Enoch, a man who walked with God. And it says about him in Genesis 5, Enoch walked with God and he was not because God took him. And it's an amazing uh, kind of statement in that Genesis 5 because every other verse begins and ends the same way. And he was born, and he, had this ch- and he lived this, this number of years, and then he had children, then he lived another number of years, and then he died. And every verse says the same thing. If you've got a Bible, go to Genesis chapter 5, and uh, we're just going to read 21 to 24, which is the, are the verses that talk about uh, Enoch. Genesis 5, 21 to 24. Um, uh, yeah, Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah, Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. That is a, a, a specifically outstanding statement in Genesis 5. He is the only one about whom this is spoken. And um, what we saw last month was he pleased God, he pleased God. So I don't know about you, but I want to know how to walk with God and how to please him. I want to know how to please him, because I figure that's what we're left here to do, to please God. And the way that we please God is to do and be the people, to be the people and do the things that he has created for us to do, um, As I say, everybody else in that chapter, all the days of X were Y years, and then he died. And nothing is said about any of them, except when you get to Enoch. And there's no death, and there's an extra verse. Enoch gets an extra verse. I want the extra verse. Do you know what I mean? I want that. I want God to be able to say, she walked with me. She walked with me. And she pleased me because she walked with me. And... um, Uh, And that's what we read about Enoch. Genesis is the book, you probably know this already, Genesis is the book of origins. It means beginnings. And in Genesis, you find almost, if not all, every doctrine of Christianity is in Genesis. So all of the accounts in Genesis, all of the people in Genesis, not only are they telling their own story, not only is God showing us about them and about the history of mankind, but he is also painting pictures through Genesis about what's going to happen. Um, down through time, actually, what will happen from the beginning to the end. And so actually in Genesis, in Enoch, we get a picture of the way that people who please God, who walk with God, will suddenly be lifted off this planet. They were, they walked with God, and they were not, because they pleased God. Enoch pictures the rapture of the church. He is the first person spoken of in that way in the, uh, in the Bible. And, he, and he, he, what it says about him is that he was here one moment he was gone the next. And that's what the New Testament tells us about the church. And I know it's difficult to believe. I mean, it is difficult to believe because it's like a science fiction movie, isn't it? It's like Beam Me Up Scotty. You know, that's not a movie, that's Star Trek. You're old enough. Everybody's old enough to know Star Trek. You know, And that's what that sounds like. And so because it doesn't sound like something we can quantify or actually picture easily, we tend to put that over there with all the stuff we're not sure is really true. And we have lots of debates about it and, and lots of kind of questions about it. Is it really true? Is it really true that the, the, the bride, the church, the, the people, the Christians are going to be beamed up to, to be with the Lord Jesus? Is it really true that he's going to call us? And actually, if you decide that you're going to believe what's in Scripture, you find the same thing spoken about so many places. If if you're going to look at a verse of Scripture and say, actually, I don't really believe that, then you're not going to see any confirming verses anywhere else. But if you come to the Bible with an open mind and say to the Lord, okay, you say this, therefore I believe it. I don't understand it, but I believe it. He just pours out confirmation on you over and over and over again. And so you open open the book to chapter 5 and you read Enoch. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, I want you to imagine, if you've got a a chart in your Bible with the patriarch's lives, you know, from Adam, what you see about Enoch is that when God took him, everyone else was still alive apart from Adam. Everyone else was still alive who hadn't been killed. So, can you imagine the situation There are people in his line, down through his ancestry, and they're all still alive. And they're wondering about, saying, where's Enoch? He was here and now he's gone. That's what people will say about us. Where are they? They were here and now they've gone. Where have they gone? And that is what we, you and I, are to be ready for. We are to be ready for the moment that the Lord will call us up to be with him. Hebrews 11 talks about Enoch and says that he he tells us that he was taken from this world by faith. He was taken by faith. That's what it actually says in Hebrews. So that he did not experience death and he was not found because God had taken him away. And... All of those people who were alive at that time were, would have been searching for him. Where is he? Where's he gone? Why has he gone? How can this be? And there would have been total bewilderment. And that's what the Bible tells us will happen in the last days we, where we live when the church is taken up to be with Jesus. The coming... Uh, the judgment that Enoch talked about, we saw this last month, he talked about two judgments. He talked about the judgment that was just about to come on his own generation and he talked about a judgment that was going to come at the end of time. He prophesied about it. Later on, we'll look at Jude which and Jude specifically say, states that Enoch prophesied about the Lord's coming with thousands of his people with him. So, um, the way that Enoch was taken up is a picture, as I say, for believers in the last days. It's a picture of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, which says uh, that those believers are waiting for Jesus who will rescue us from the wrath to come. Now, there's much debate in Christian circles about whether the rapture will happen before the tribulation or during the tribulation or at the end of the tribulation. And I want it to happen before, and so do you really, let's be honest. You want it to happen before. But what we get confused about, I think, is that we think it's that the tribulation is the only bad time. So, okay, if, if it's right and Christians are going to be raptured, taken up before the tribulation, then that's okay. We're going to avoid any bad time. But the Bible says, no, we will go through persecution Paul writes to Timothy, anyone who wants to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There will be persecution. There will be persecution up to the moment that the saints, the believers, are raptured and go up to be with Christ. It's just that we, if if the rapture happens before the tribulation, it will happen before the last seven years of God's wrath and God's judgment. But you and I know, if you open your newspaper, if you turn on your TV news at night, you know that we are starting to move in. Even in our secluded, safe uh, environment, Christians are being persecuted all around the world. They are being persecuted, and we will be persecuted too. So I want to know, how do I walk with God? How do I make myself ready? How do I prepare for having to make, to stand in the days that are ahead? You see it happening all over this country right now, where people are being losing their jobs, people are... Uh, are being um, told that they're intolerant, that they're bigoted, that they're fundamental, that there's no place for them in society. Um, And and that's just going to get worse. It's just going to get worse. And if we open our eyes and look around the world, I mean, it's just it would be hard to tell some of the Christians around the world that you're going to escape the tribulation because they're not. They're in their tribulation right now. As a ministry, we're going to show the movie, um, not movie, the video... um, Sheep Among Wolves, we're going to show that on the 15th of November. So if you're around and you'd like to come and look at it, 15th of November in the evening in Sirencester, it's, uh, it's the video account of the church in Iran, of the absolute explosion of faith in Iran and the persecution that accompanies anyone who uh, is found out to be a Christian. So uh, around the world, persecution is increasing. Uh, I I haven't got the figures with me now. I did talk about them last month. The number of Christians uh, executed uh, for their faith or imprisoned for their faith uh, is just, just exploding. The numbers, 245 million, I think it is, Christians actually at this moment incarcerated, being killed for their faith. We have no clue. So we're to be ready, we're to be ready. So when I'm talking about being ready and and I talk about the rapture of the saints, the rapture of believers, in no way do I mean that I think we will avoid persecution. If we are believers, we will be persecuted. That's the reality. So you and I can disagree on the timing of the rapture, but we can't disagree on the fact that it will happen because the Bible is explicit about it. Enoch was raptured, Elijah was raptured, and we will be raptured. Um, 1 Thessalonians, uh, actually before then, John 14, uh, when Jesus is talking to his disciples about the event that we're talking about, John 14, verse 1 to 3, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to my fa- myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, where is Christ? Where is Christ? He's in heaven or he's at the right hand of the throne of God and he will bring us to be with him. Um, Titus chapter 2, Paul writes about this event and he says that it is the blessed hope. Titus chapter 2 verse 13. Um, you should have the scriptures in front of you, by the way, that they were printed out. So if you don't have them, pick up a, a sheet from Rosie uh, uh, in the break. Um, Titus 2 verse 13 Uh Let's say 11, verse 11 we'll start with. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession." Zealous for good deeds. We are looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory. Of Jesus Christ. And um, in First Thessalonians, Paul will write to the Thessalonian believers because they're a bit worried. They're facing persecution and they're a bit worried that the rapture's happened and they haven't gone. And so there are, they've, they're questioning, what's happening? I don't understand. I'm going through persecution. Why am I going through persecution if I'm going to escape the wrath to, com- uh, to come? And Paul makes it clear. But we do not want you to be uninformed. Chapter 4, verse 13, Uh, Brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as the rest of us, as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Where are we going to? meet the Lord? In the air. We're going to meet the Lord in the air. This is the rapture. That phrase caught up is rapturo in the Latin, and it means raptured. We will be caught up to be with Jesus in the air. There is a moment coming that none of us know that will come like a thief in the night. We will not know when it is, and God will call us Jesus will call us up to be with him. And I. the question today, the question for all of us, the question for every professing believer in the church is, will you be ready for that day? Will you be ready for that day? Because there won't be a moment to prepare. You know, it... it Many people, I I think there are masses of Christians wandering around thinking they've still got so much time to get ready. So they're still distracted with this and going after that. They're still not surrendering all because they think they have, you know, years. Because there are masses of professing Christians who do not believe that Christ will come like that in a moment. And I know they don't believe it, and you know they don't believe it, because their lives are lived for themselves. Honestly, really, seriously, just take a moment and think. If the Lord Jesus, well, he won't walk through the door, but if he called you up right now, and you had a nanosecond, a nanosecond... I don't even know a smaller thing than a nanosecond, but less than that. You have less than that, and then you are face-to-face with the God we sang about, the God who died for us, who came and lived and then died and bled and took all your sin. What will you say to him? I was just so busy, you know, I mean, my family, they just, they needed so much help. And, and actually, you know, I had this job and it was really important and I wanted to get on and I wanted to do well because I knew that would be a witness for you, Lord. And, and, you know, I know I didn't get to church as often as I could and I know I didn't read your word and I know I didn't pray all the time, but, you know, I, I mean, I was for you, Lord. Do you think when you see the Lord face to face, that's going to be enough? Will it be enough for you? It won't be enough for me. Forget whether it's enough for Jesus. Will it be enough for you to face him like that? Revelation chapter 4, well, 1 Corinthians 15, sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about the same thing. He says that in the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 Um, "'Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed.'" In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on the immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up by victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Like Enoch, believers who are still alive at the time of the, sec- of the coming or the calling of, of Christ to his people will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. I can't wait. I can't wait. And it'll happen quickly, suddenly. Revelation 4. You know, when John gets his vision and he sees Jesus, and and then in Revelation chapter 4, Jesus gives him a message for the churches. And then in chapter 4, it says, And after these things, after the messages to the churches, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold... He was in in the throne room of God. Immediately. Immediately. There's a day coming when you and I will be in the presence of God. Enoch lived by faith. He lived by faith. And he walked with God. And I want to know what that's like. We are a people who are supposed to have a heart for God in a world that throws up a million distractions. We live in a time of immense distraction. Yes, there have been difficult times down through history. Yes, there has been persecution and difficulty and trouble. And is there more sin now or not? I don't know. But there are more ways to do sin now than there ever were before. Is the human heart any more wicked than it was? I don't know. But I see the wickedness now far more than we saw it before. You can turn on your internet at any time of the day and night and you can look at whatever you want at any time of the day or night. We have people inventing ways to do evil. And we have a church that is being pulled into this uh, way, this deception. So today is be ready. We have to know what we're being ready for and we have to know when it's coming or at least be aware that it can come at any time and we, I don't know about you, but we need to be absolutely sure that we leave nothing undone when it happens. So first, how do you know it's coming? How do you know Jesus is coming back for you? I mean, that's a no-brainer because we've just done loads of scriptures. Go ahead, Linda, go on. Because we're told. We're told told that Jesus is coming back. And uh, uh, what else do you know? Even apart from the scriptures we've looked at, and there are many more, but apart from that, what do you know about God that tells you that um, uh, this is definitely going to happen? What do you know about God? He He doesn't break any promises. His word is true. Think about it. If the rapture is going to happen, it makes sense that he would tell us about it. Because God reveals what's going to happen to his people. He doesn't hold secrets back. Mysteries are revealed. What he says in the Bible is that everything is revealed in Jesus Christ. And so all the New Testament writing, all of those things that come out of the teaching of Jesus in the gospel, are about what is going to happen next. Amos uh, chapter 3, we looked at last time, Uh, God reveals what is going to happen to his people. Amos chapter 3 says, a lion has roared who will not listen. A lion has roared, our God has roared out the truth about his purpose and plan. And, And Amos, the prophet in the Old Testament says, why would you not listen to that? God reveals what he's going to do through his prophets so that you and I will understand and know. So um, what's the significance then of living in this time? If Jesus is going to come back in our day, and if he does or he doesn't, actually doesn't matter because we're to be living as if he is. So what's the significance then of today living in this time? What do you think God would have you do in the run-up to the second coming, or the calling up of uh, the saints to Jesus. Help other to yeah, help other people to understand. Yeah, is that a hard question? So just everybody's a bit shy to say anything. Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Right, <laughs> gosh. Gosh, really? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. What else? Hello, Diana. Come and find a seat. Um, Yeah. What do you think is the most important thing, really? The most important thing? Yeah. We have to know. Christ we have to know God actually when you read all of Paul's letters every single thing in his letters boils down to the sentence he writes in Philippians that I press on to know him I press on to know him for Paul knowing Christ was it now, I want to know why that is. Why is it knowing Christ, being more and more experienced about who he is and with him, having this intimate relationship, why would that be it? Don't you just love that? I mean, it's like so wonderful, okay? God wants us to know Christ and as we get to know Christ, we love him more. Why? Why? Why do you love Christ the more you know him? Because so he's so fantastic. <laughs> so you love him more because you know him more. And then because you know him more, you want to know him more. And then you love him more. And then you know him more. And then you, know him and then you love him more. And as you're doing that, as this thing is going on, what else is happening? You're less oh, don't you love that? Yeah. It's hard in the beginning because you can't think of a situation where you would become less. But yes, you start to really want that. And also, what happens with that? Yes, yes. And no one has to tell you, be gracious today. No one has to tell you, be gracious today. Because out of the overflow of knowing him, grace pours out. No one has to tell you, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Because out of your love for him and his love for you, you love other people. You love people that you wouldn't even like before. You're able to be, just be gracious it doesn't, you don't have to wake up in the morning and say, oh, I've got to be gracious today. It's so hard, Lord. I mean, you do have those times because some people really are difficult. But you, know, no. but you know what I mean. You have this. It's just coming and it's, it's growing. Now, imagine then a situation when the whole of the professing church lives like that. Imagine that situation. What would happen with that? The world would know. People would want to know this Christ. This Christ that could take people like you and me, ordinary, everyday people, people who take offense, people who get upset, people who've got bitterness, people who don't find forgiveness easy, people who really struggle to do the basic things. If we could become this body, wow, we could change the world. We could change the world. We wouldn't have to go out doing all the things that we're doing we could simply love one another and people would come into the understanding that god must be amazing must be amazing how do you get to know christ you read his word and you pray and go back to reading his word cuz i yeah what you read his word and then what don't pray yet just read his word you do it You do it. I think we have this idea about the word of God, which is just, I'll read it, and then God will do it. Right? I'll read it, and then God will do what's necessary. And to a certain extent, that happens, but it won't happen without your deliberate choice. Okay, Lord, you talk about unforgiveness. I know I have unforgiveness. So, okay. You've shown me unforgiveness on the page. Can you look at my heart and see unforgiveness? And when the Lord says, Yeah, it's here, He's going to expect you to say, Okay, Lord, let's get rid of that together. Your sanctification is a work that you are involved in, it's not something that God will just do. If he was going to do that, there would be no reason for you to be here because the process of your sanctification is the biggest witness to the fact that he is God because no one else could do that in you. No one else could get you to that place where you even want to forgive the people you haven't forgiven because they don't deserve forgiveness So in order to even see the unforgiveness, he has to have been at work. And then to actually choose to forgive, he has to have been at work. So it's not that it's about you. It's not that you do it. It's that you recognize and say, Lord, do it in me. And he will say, okay, we'll do that together. We'll do that together. You have to choose forgiveness. You have to choose compassion. You have to choose grace. You have to choose truth. It won't just happen to you. I spent a long time waiting for God to just do it. And actually, even now, 26 years in, I'd rather he just did it than me. Honestly, because it takes more time if I'm involved. (laughs) Seriously, that's the truth, isn't it? I want to be... Exactly, Anna. Exactly. Thank you. There you go. We wouldn't learn if we weren't involved. So, so that's why God is doing it. That's why he's telling us, be ready. That's why he wrote to us that I'm coming back and it'll happen quickly. Not so that you would know that in your head, but so that you'd prepare. And then he's written reams of pages to us about how to prepare. And it all boils down to one sentence. Will you know Christ? Will you know him, really know him? Will you chase after him? Will he be the best for you? Will everything else fade? We sing the song, don't we? You know, what's the song? I look in your wonderful face and the things of earth go strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. Well, do they? Really? Do the things of earth grow strangely dim when you consider Jesus? Because quite honestly, they don't with me every day. So I want to be in that place where I can honestly say, yes, yes, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I was. And the thing is, the whole Bible is telling us, you know, things are happening. God is working. I had a conversation with Janet today earlier, just before we started. And the fact that God is always at work, he is always at work. We just don't see him always working. So he's always at work. And there are things happening in our world that are shouting the fact that we're coming towards the end. Whatever you think about the end and how it will all work out, that is shouting to us that we are coming to the end. People are more and more turning away from God. The church, the professing church, is more and more turning away from God. No, you're not here. You're here. You want to know the word of God. You want to grow in your knowledge of God. I'm not talking about you. I'm not even talking about your particular fellowship. I'm talking about generally in the West. The church is turning away. The professing church is turning away from God. And lo and behold, that's what you read. You read it in 2 Thessalonians, that there's going to be an apostasy. There's going to be a falling away. God's telling us, there is going to be this. There's going to be this falling away. And you can debate as long as you like, well, were they really saved if they fell away? And how could they do that? If you know, That's not the issue. The issue is this is happening in our day. And God gives us a timeline, which we'll talk about at the next conference. He gives us a timeline of what's going to happen. But we see that happening now. So we know the end is near. Sometimes I think I think that only because I'm getting older, so you know what I mean? So my end is nearer than it was twenty five years ago. I don't know. But one thing I do know is that the signs that God paints in his Bible, in his word, are right in front of my eyes. Israel, look at Israel, I mean we haven't got time to go into Israel, but the whole the whole the fact of the existence of the nation of Israel that they are back in their land is is the marker for the end days. The last days, you and I live in the last days. Paul, um, Joel, God spoke to Joel in the Old Testament. We talked about that last time. We looked, took a little look at the book of Joel and uh, saw that Joel actually had a prophecy, it's only three chapters long, and he used a locust plague to talk to his people about the fact that there was a plague coming on them. The Babylonians were going to come. And what the locusts did, stripping the land bare and, and uh, affecting everything in their land, the Babylonians would do. And just a short time after, the Babylonians came and stripped the land of Israel and took them captive. But Joel also points to the end times, and he says that it will be exactly the same at the end We can read Joel and see what he's telling us will happen in our day or in the days to come. And you can go through chapter 2, which we didn't really look at. And as you go through the chapter, and we won't have time today, but I would urge you to look at this little book, three chapters. Look at chapter 2 and read what it will be like. What the last days will be like For the day of the Lord is coming, surely it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor there will be again after it. And you go all the way down through that, Joel explaining what the Babylonians will do as a picture of what God will do at the end or what will happen at the end. And then he gets to verse 12 and he says to them what he says to us. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping and mourning and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and kindness and relenting of evil. And who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. For the Lord, um, bring an offering for the Lord your God. Blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing infants, let the bridegroom come out of his chamber, let the priests, the Lord ministers weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, spare your people, O Lord." You know, Joel is writing to his people, Israel. But God, through Joel, is writing to us. You and I are priests of the Lord. You are a priest. Peter says that you and I are priests because we are in Christ Jesus. And I want to ask you really seriously, are you weeping for the church? I'm not talking about for the world. It's quite easy to weep for the world. Because the things that are going on in the world are so horrific. If you're not weeping, then probably there's something not right within you. But are you weeping about the state of the church? Honestly? I'm not talking about judgment now or criticism. I'm talking about weeping at the, at the indifference, at the apathy, at the rush towards apostasy that we see happening in our day. That uh, video I talked about, Sheep Among Wolves, there's an Iranian couple in there who who, uh, got to the States. Forgive me if you've heard this before. Um, They left Iran. They were Christians. They left Iran. They got to America. And they started working in America. And after a very short time, the wife said to the husband, I want to go back to Iran. He said, are you mad? Why would you want to go back? She said, because there is a satanic lullaby playing in the West and I'm falling asleep to it. That woman knew that the church in the West is just listening to this satanic lullaby, and we are falling asleep to the sound of it. They did actually go back to Iran. Joel Calls to the people, even now, please relent. It is the uh, last days. We are to surrender our all to the Lord. Now, I know, because I know many of you, I know that you are surrendered. This is not for me to stand here and say, well, you're just not surrendered like I am, so you better do it. This is simply a call from God that I know he's speaking to me about. And you talk about surrender. You say you've surrendered. But have you really, in every area of your life, and what is that surrender causing you to do? Is it resulting in more grace? Is it resulting in more love for one another? Is it resulting in you building up the church? Or is it resulting in you finding ways to divide the church? Is it resulting in you taking your stand on your moral ground and your high ground of theological knowledge and so you can say to everybody else, well, I'm sorry, you know, you're just not where I am. Because knowing Christ does the opposite of that. Knowing Christ says, oh, (laughs) I thought I knew what grace was, and I had no clue. I thought I knew what love meant, and I didn't know what that was. That's what knowing Christ brings. That's what God's talking about in all of this. Come back to me. Come close to me. Rend your garments. Weep. Weep. Because the world is getting darker and in that darkness the church is to shine brighter. And the way you shine is that you know Christ. That you know Christ. And that you have made it your business to know him. Every day I feel this lack of prayer in my life. Every day I feel like I just, there's so much of my day that is busy with good things. Study, reading the word, it's, it, you know, but there's such a lack of prayer. Now, I know if I feel that, that's God showing me that. So now I'm saying it to you because that's my way of saying, right? okay, Lord, I know that's here, and I know I need to be in prayer much more often. I do pray, but you know, I'm easily distracted in my prayers. Do you know what I mean? So I'm praying for this thing, and then I'm thinking about something else, and then this, and, and it's none of it ungodly, thankfully, but it's all about, you know, it's just my mind goes off. I want to come into that real intense inner chamber prayer where I can hear God speak without the pages where i can hear him speak and i can speak to him and i can say to him truly i want to be used by you for your glory i want to i want to make a difference here not for myself but so that people will see who you are that's the reason for your surrender it's actually not about you (laughs) it's all about him He's coming soon. Satan is at work. Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 tells us that um, uh, he is at work. He is the prince of the power of the air and he is actively working in the sons of disobedience. And we all used to be among that number, but now we are not. But nonetheless, he is still at work. This satanic lullaby is being sung in our ears every day. And we live in the days of apostasy. We live in the days of apostasy. But it is a matter of life and death. The people you sit next to at church, some of them are headed the wrong way. It's just the truth. Jesus talked about it in the parable of the tares and the wheat. You know they exist. People like that exist. And it's not that they're evil, bad people. They look just like you. They talk just like you. It's that somewhere along the line, they've been deceived. And they need you to be true. They need you to know Christ. Because they need to see the difference. Very soon, um, Jesus will be back. Revelation chapter 1. just finish with this before we take a cup of coffee. Revelation chapter 1 is going to tell us what he'll be like. I read this now and then to remind myself that, you know, yes, he's my friend, yes, he's my saviour, yes, he's my redeemer, but I would need to be reminded of how he looks now because he's not the Jesus that we paint in the pictures. He's not hanging on the cross. He's not, uh, you know, with a beard and, well, he might have a beard, I don't know, but he's not walking my planet. This is what he looks like. Revelation chapter 1, verse 12 Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. This is John. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool and the snow. Uh, like snow and his eyes were like a flame of fire his feet were like burnished bronze when it had been made to glow in the furnace and his voice was like the sound of many waters in his right hand he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in its strength and when i saw him i fell at his feet like a dead man when i when john saw christ he fell at his feet like a dead man. This is the one who had walked with Jesus, talked with him, who called himself the disciple that Jesus loved, who knew who Jesus was, who knew he was full of grace and truth, who had seen his glory, but he had never seen Christ like this. This is the Christ we will see. This is the one we will stand in front of. This is the one we are to be ready to meet. So ask yourself, as we take a cup of coffee, are you ready to meet Jesus now? Really, are you ready? Yeah. I've got a line here. This is not a game. This is the battle for your soul. On that somber note, we'll have coffee and uh and a biscuit maybe, and I'll see you in about 20 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, yeah.